Um, well, we are in uh, part two of Habakkuk, and we said this last week, but Habakkuk is a profound book. Uh, it's a book that takes us deep into the mysteries of God. And not all books of the Bible do this. Paul's pastoral epistles, for example, are fairly straightforward. Uh, but Habakkuk is profound because it, it, it raises deep questions about the, the workings of God in history. Why God does what he does. Why he does it the way that he does it. And why he sometimes does nothing. It is vital that you and I as believers, that we be growing in our knowledge of God. Uh, If God is to be the object of our worship, if God is to be our hope and our love and our life, if God is our creator and our sustainer and our redeemer, then there is within us this great desire to know him better. And we often want to know and understand him better when we're facing great difficulties in life. Habakkuk is also profound because of the answers that God gives. Habakkuk asks, how long, God, until you do something? And the Lord's reply is, well, funny you ask, very suddenly and very soon. Then Habakkuk asks, why is justice not upheld? And the Lord replies, essentially, my impartial justice will bring awesome vengeance even on my own people. These responses upset Habakkuk, maybe even more so than the silence that he was receiving initially. God says that although the righteous may not understand everything that I am doing in history, they nevertheless are to live by faith in me. And that's what we're going to look at next week when Kevin is preaching for us, is this uh, chapter 2, verse 4, and launching into the, all of chapter 2. Habakkuk had this problem, right? He, he, we talked about this last week. He, he lived uh, through a period of, of national revival followed by a period of spiritual decline. And when he cries out to God about their situation, God replies that he is sending the Babylonians to be an agent of judgment on his people. Now, this is not obviously what Habakkuk wanted. Habakkuk wanted another revival. In addition to not getting what he wants, Habakkuk also has the further problem of reconciling God's actions with what he knows about God's moral standard. This would be like us crying out to God about the state of the visible church in America today. And then hearing that God is going to destroy America through some sort of socialist communist invasion. Too soon? (laughs) 
what would happen? Hypothetically, what would happen? Well, we would probably recognize that there are many churches that have sold their birthright for a pot of stew. Many have caved on foundational doctrines. Many have given uh, up the offensive message of the gospel for one that is easier or, or, or a non-gospel. Fearing that the, that the offense of the message means that they themselves are offensive rather than the message being what is offensive. We would then say, Lord, we have prayed that you would send revival, but our prayers go unanswered. And then after God had replied that he was going to destroy the church by an invasion of total unbelievers. And then I think we would find ourselves protesting. Look, the church may be in a terrible state, but surely it's not that bad. And even if it were that bad, it wouldn't seem right for it to be destroyed by godless people and nations. And we might ask at this point, as Habakkuk does, why do you tolerate the faithless? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? What about on a personal level? Suppose you lose your job to somebody that that has it in for you and, and they misrepresent or misconstrue something that you've done or something that you have said. Why did God allow this bad person to succeed? Suppose you are sick and the doctor misdiagnoses your case and you get worse. Why has that happened? Suppose you experience some great disappointment or disaster, the, the death of a, of a family member, the, the breakup of a, of a marriage or an engagement, a failure to get into the right school or program or job. Doesn't God care? Well, look, we're not perfect, but why would someone else who is not even a believer have it good while you lose out? That puts us a bit more in Habakkuk's position. What will our response be when these types of things happen? Because if they have not already happened to you, they will likely happen at some point. Not all of these things, but at some point, every believer faces circumstances where they are asking God similar questions to what Habakkuk is asking. And the fact that you are here with us this morning tells me that you have had a right response to those circumstances, or you may have had a bad response to the events in your life, but God has still pursued you by his grace, and you are responding, even if you don't receive answers, or even if you have not received the answers that you wanted. Whatever your situation is, you are here with us. You are with this body of believers here to grow and to understand and to deepen your relationship with Christ. So, with these verses that we have this morning, I want us to think together on how we can respond to these 
problems and difficulties that come our way. The things that God in his sovereignty has allowed to take place that he may be glorified. And so let's pray to that end. Father, would you help us to think, Father, to understand your ways. But Father, even if we don't understand, we ask that you would help our unbelief. We ask that you would give us faith to believe, to trust in you, knowing that the righteous live by faith. That we would, as Kevin told us earlier this morning, Father, that we would be unified under the blood of Christ, knowing that you have offered forgiveness. And so as we face the circumstances in our life, that you would help us to understand. And if it doesn't come, that we would still remember we are under the blood of Christ forgiven. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning again, I am borrowing from our good friend Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I referenced last week, uh, his book. And Lloyd-Jones suggests that there are four steps on how to deal with problems in life. Now, I desperately don't want this to sound equational. Do you know what I mean by that? It's, 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 it's that there's this predicted outcome that follows. Because that sounds too formulaic. And we all know that there's a great deal more to the situations that we face than just A equals B. But at the same time, there is a sense in which some outcomes can be determined based on reactions. When things go wrong, some people tend to withdraw. They, they drop out of Christian activities. They withdraw from church. They pull back into a spiritual corner and they feel sad and, and, and sorry. Uh, others will then reject, will, will reject their past and conclude that they must have been wrong about God. Uh, they renounce their beliefs in him. Now, I have talked with and met with people who have had both of those responses in those two camps, and both are wrong ways of dealing with difficult problems. So what are some helpful tools that we can have as we look and learn from God's word this morning? First, when facing a problem, we need to stop and think. We need to stop and think. Most of us have a tendency to talk first and think afterward if we think at all. Uh, Oh, how foot-in-mouth syndrome seems to never go away uh, from me. Uh, that's what a good wife or husband is for. I have testimony here on my right. Uh, always covering up for my flaws. James tells us in his letter, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. When we speak first, we often uh, muddle ourselves by fanning the flame of our own unbelief. Or we muddy the water of our ignorance. But when we, when we stop and we quiet ourselves 
and we think, we begin to sort things out and allow the light of God to shine in on our situation. Habakkuk does this with his current situation. He takes the time to consider. His questions are not hasty, they're not vindictive, they are built upon a great deal of thinking. Second, restate the basic principles or remember what you know. Lloyd-Jones says, when you start to think, you must not begin with your immediate problem, which is exactly what I do. We have to go further back. What does Habakkuk do? Verse 12. Are you not from everlasting? He focuses on the attributes of God himself. Think about this. In the previous verses, God describes the Babylonians who he was sending as invaders to Israel. They laugh at every fortress for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. The Babylonians worship their own might and strength. Now, obviously a false idol, right? And Habakkuk knows this. Even in his not understanding all that God was doing, he at least knew that he served the everlasting God that is beyond compare. Then Habakkuk says, ends the question, my God and my Holy One, we shall not die. God's holiness is one of the attributes that is stressed more than the others. He is referred to as holy, holy, holy. Only attribute that is used three times to describe his nature. It's also important to Habakkuk because later he asks, is it right for God to allow the wicked to destroy those more righteous than themselves? He's really asking, does God act rightly? In the context of this set of questions, it's important for Habakkuk to remind himself that God is the Holy One. Well, Habakkuk also reminds himself of God's sovereignty. Verse 12 again. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. God controls history. The Babylonians did not rise up on their own. God raised them up. And he was raising them up when he wanted them and to operate in the exact location where he wanted them. The fourth characteristic of God that Habakkuk mentions is faithfulness. He expresses it by saying that God is a place of security for his people. He calls him a rock. A rock provides firm footing. It is a a foundation upon which a a person can build a, a secure structure. It's often a a fortress that that a soldier can run into and be safe. And God is all of these things for us. The personal relationship between the prophet and God is stressed as well. My God, my Holy One. Well, what did Habakkuk do once he reminded himself of these great attributes of God? He stopped to think 
He remembered who God was, restating his basic principles. Third, he applies those principles to the problem that he is facing. Context is important, is it not? Uh, Sometimes people will read a a difficult passage of scripture and they will say, what what is this saying? What does this mean? Uh, Then if you read the whole section of the passage, uh, you begin to get the context and it makes your issue a little bit clearer. For example, I have heard football player Ray Lewis uh, Hall of Fame line, linebacker quoting Isaiah fifty four seventeen, no weapon formed against me shall prosper he was using that in relation to winning a football game well the context of that passage is uh, God's protection of his people and even more so it's a prophecy about Christ himself that, that, that the weapons formed against him would not would, would never prosper, that the weapons formed against the church would never ultimately prosper. Though they kill the body, they cannot take the soul. So to use that passage as a motivation tool for a football game, it, it cheapens the scripture. But when you put that passage in its context and the lights come on, it is 1,000 times brighter and more joyful than motivation for a game. The same principle applies to when we put our problems in their context. We have a better perspective and the the principles for solving emerge. Here's what Habakkuk does. He's probably thinking, if God is the everlasting God, meaning he was here before anything we know came into existence and will be here after all our problems and enemies have faded away, then the Babylonian invasion is not his last word. However final that invasion may seem to us, his relationship to us is more important and more lasting. Again, if God is holy as I know him to be, then the outcome of this invasion, since it is being caused by God, will not be evil but good when it's all said and done. It will accomplish some good purpose. If God is sovereign, then the invasion is not the result of mere chance. God is still in control. Finally, if God is faithful, then the victory of the Babylonian armies must be for the good of God's people. It it, it does not indicate that God has changed his mind. He has not abandoned us. We are still his people. Now think what Habakkuk has accomplished by his reasoning. If the Babylonian invasion is not the last word in God's relationship to his people, if it does not indicate a change of mind on God's part, then what must the invasion be? And the answer is, it must be a tool in God's hand for the correction and the purification of his people. It is to do them good. Well, Habakkuk expresses his conclusion by saying, O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. 
What we have at this point is an answer to the first part of Habakkuk's problem. He stopped to think, he restates his basic principles, remembering who God is, and then he applies those principles to the problem he was facing. And he's arrived at the answer. The invasion must be a tool in God's hand for the correction and purification of his people. But Habakkuk is not finished yet. He's not satisfied yet. He can see the ultimate purpose of the coming invasion, but he is still troubled by the moral dimension of using the Babylonians and ungodly people to punish Israel. Israel is far from righteous. I don't, that's not a stretch. But the Babylonians are even less righteous. They are actually terribly wicked. Isn't it wrong for God to exalt such a wicked people? Is this not an endorsement of evil? What will the rest of the world think as they see this wicked nation capturing a less wicked nation? At this point, Habakkuk seems to be doing exactly what he had done for the first half of his problem. Once again, he stops to think, he states his principles, and then he applies them to his problem. In verse 13, he writes, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. But this time, the procedure does not work because the difficulty is bound up with the principles. It is precisely because God is too pure to look on evil and cannot tolerate wrong that the problem of God using the Babylonians as a tool comes up. Well, what is Habakkuk to do now? He he still does not have an answer. And at this point, he comes to step four. He commits the problem to God in faith. Rather than just quitting or giving up, rather than allowing the, the distance from God to grow and your love to diminish, you and I can say, Lord, I have done everything I know to do with this problem. I have faced it on the basis of everything I know and I still don't understand it. From here on, it is your problem and not mine. This is what God wants us to do. He wants you to make your problems his problems because he knows that you will then grow in faith and in your knowledge and and those things will deepen. In time, God will give you a proper answer to the problem you are facing, whether it's the one you want or not. And chapter 2 is how Habakkuk begins that leaving it with God process. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk has gone as far in his reasoning as he can. And now he needs to know more if he is to progress. And so he waits for instruction. 
He says that he is going to wait to see what God will say to him. And I think it's worth our time looking into this section here. How do we leave a problem with God? I hear that phrase used all the time and it, 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 I know it means different things to different people. And so this is the question we're asking. What should our frame of mind be? First, we detach ourselves from the problem. Habakkuk suggests this when he says he will go to his watch post or his watchtower. A watchtower being in the city uh, or, or on the walls of the city from where watchmen could keep an eye out for the enemy from outside the camp. Uh, the tower was separate. It was detached from the commonality of life. So when Habakkuk says that he is going to stand at his watch and station himself on the tower, he is saying, I have been down in the valley with my problem and I have not been able to solve it. And now I'm going to draw apart for a while and leave it with God. I'm going to detach myself from the difficulty. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, this is one of the most important principles in the psychology of the Christian life. But he adds that it is often precisely where we go astray. Now I'm quoting him here and I'm going to have to replace some of his words because I needed that too. I had to get a thesaurus out to understand what he was saying. We have a perplexity problem and we have applied the prophetic method of laying down the postulates, the principles, and putting the problem in the context of those propositions, problems, right? So it's the model we've just talked about. We have a problem. We know certain truths about who our God is. We apply those, that knowledge of who we know God is to our problem. But still, we do not find satisfaction. And we do not quite know what to do. It may be the problem of what, of what we are to do with our lives. Or it may be some situation that is confronting us which involves a difficult decision. Having failed to reach a solution, despite seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit, there is nothing more to do but to take it to God in prayer. But what so frequently happens is this. We go on our knees and tell God about the thing that is worrying us we tell him that we cannot solve the difficulty ourselves, that we cannot understand, and we ask him to deal with it and show us his way, then the moment we get up from our knees, we begin to worry about the problem again. Conviction. That was like a slap in the face for me when I read that. How true that is. Leave it with God. Do not turn it over and over and over and over in your head and continue to worry about it. And I say that with great con conflict because I know what it's like to want to do that. Second, we are to expect God's answer. Just because we have left something with God and have stopped worrying about it does not mean that we should forget about it entirely. Here again, Habakkuk's image of the watchtower is, is helpful for us. The tower is detached from the crowds and the people below. But the person who enters it does so in order to keep an eye on the terrain, the land. He is on duty, as it were. He, is, he, he has work to do. 
And that work is to watch and see what will happen. Habakkuk says that he will stand at his watch and look to see what God will say to him. And so how do we look to God for answers? How does God speak? Well, the primary way that God speaks is through his scripture. Sometimes we forget that. Now, it's true that God, sometimes God uh, directs us by what we call intimations or, or, or deep personal feelings concerning the way we should go. Okay? He, he frequently uh, directs us by what we would call open and closed doors. Right? That is, God provides an opportunity for service or he takes it away. And, and, it's, and it's very apparent. These things do happen. And yet still, the primary and ultimately the only fully reliable way of knowing God's direction or answer to our problems is through Scripture. Anyone who has made a habit of reading the Word of God regularly knows how that happens. We have a problem, uh, we've been unable to solve it, and we have left it with God. It may be that we have forgotten about it temporarily, But one day we're reading a passage and that passage of the Bible, it sort of leaps up at us and we recognize at once that it contains the solution to what has troubled us. It is God's answer to the problem we previously left with him. I remember this happening to me. Uh, I read a a section and I thought, oh, exactly. Oh, that's it. That's the answer. Unfortunately, I was too hasty and I came to my own conclusion and I made my own decision, consequences and all. And then I felt the conviction when I read the passage and I thought that's how I should have dealt with it and it's not how I dealt with it and I've had to face those consequences because I probably rushed into this. I wasn't patient. I didn't wait. I was praying, but I wanted to come up with my own answer. I wanted to solve it myself. The final point is that we should be persistent in our expectation. Habakkuk also implies this with the image. He says that he is going to stay in his watchtower until God answers his question. God likes that kind of tenacity. Now, I know we talked about this being separate from the people. I don't think this necessarily means you go up into a tower and you hide from everyone until you get your answer. It's imagery. This is the kind of persevering attitude that God honors. God honored it in the case of Habakkuk for the entire second chapter that Kevin's going to show us next week is God's answer. Maybe not the one that Habakkuk wanted, but still he answered him. Now look, personally, I, I, I can't tell you how helpful this study for me has been uh, this week. There are things that that I am facing, uh, to which I do not have the answer, (laughs) things to which I cry out, what are you doing? And this book of Habakkuk has been like a, a calming wave gently lapping over me in my heart. I want to trust Christ more deeply. I want to know God's character more and the depth of the circumstances of Habakkuk have overwhelmed me with seeing and knowing the overflowing grace that these passages have poured out. 
And as he will point out in the next verse, the righteous live by faith. That's what we have been called to. No matter the challenge or the problem or the difficulty, God's children live by faith in the good and the righteous and the holy, holy, holy God. So that's my prayer for us today. I know it felt a bit formulaic, that process, but I have found it very helpful. What, what better way to consider a problem in your life and, and to run to God and say, I need help. And I know these things are true about you and I'm gonna apply what I know about you to the problem that I'm facing, hoping for a solution. And if it doesn't come right away, I will wait. I will stand in the watchtower and I will wait because I know that you will eventually answer. And I ask that you change my heart, prepare my heart for whatever that answer may be because I want to be righteous. I know that righteousness only comes through Christ, but the righteous live by faith, that faith in Christ for what he has done and what he will do. Let's pray together. Father, I confess I am impatient. I want to rush to answers. I want to come to conclusions quickly because I think speed is the best method. It's the best medicine to problems. I want to get over the problem. I want it to go away as quick as possible. And so I want to deal with it myself. And yet in your gentleness, you work with Habakkuk. Your answers are confounding. And yet you're using them for your good and your glory. We pray that you would give us hearts that are patient. That as we face whatever difficulty in our lives we come across. That we would just stop and think for a moment before we open our mouths to speak that we would be able to retrace our steps and remember what you have done, what you have been doing in our lives. Look at the entire context of the problem that we're facing and not just the narrow view, not just the wanting to escape it, but the sincere desire that we would grow in that faith and knowledge of you. Because we don't want to remain in spiritual infancy, we want to grow We know that that growth doesn't always come with good times and happy things. It often comes with great difficulty and hardship. Father, help us to apply the things that we know as we continually grow in that knowledge of you, to continually uh, add to our, our knowledge and understanding that we may apply those things as we grow in faith, as we grow in wisdom. And that, Father, when those things are too much, that we would have the faith to leave it with you, trusting that your answer will come, but not dwelling on it and not twisting it in our minds over and over and over again, but knowing your nature. So, Father, I pray that for each and every one of us, anyone in here is facing a problem, anyone who will face a problem, that these things would rest in their minds, 
that they would have great confidence in you because you are a good God. You are holy, holy, holy. You are righteous, you are just, you are merciful, you are gracious. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.